The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. The most exciting part of a vacation stay at a home rental? Easy. It's being greeted upon arrival with a rusted lockbox affixed to the underside of a stranger's condo. Yeah, you simply twist knobs, click gears, jiggle it, and then rip it off its moorings, and voila! Your prize is a key to a questionable home rental and maybe tetanus. When you just want to get your vacation started by actually getting into your room, it matters where you stay. At Hilton, we deliver your key right to your phone on the Hilton Honors app. Hilton for the stay. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. You're listening to an irreverent podcast. For more unholy content from our friends, head to irreverent.fm. Hey friends, welcome to the Speaking in Church podcast. I'm Josie, as always, and today we are joined by our new friend, Millie Henderson, who is a former PK. Don't get many of those on the pod. (laughs) (laughs) She is the oldest of nine children, nine kids, friends, that is right, nine kids. Uh, She is in Kentucky and married to her youth group sweetheart. We're talking real Christian here back in the days. (laughs) How are you, Millie? (laughs) Good, good. How are you? Chilling. I'm stoked to talk to a PK. I, ugh, you guys are so fucked up, generally. We we are a different (laughs) breed, for sure. Well... Let's dive right in. Tell us all about your life in Christianity. Oh, man. Okay, where do I start? So um, I always say that I have been, like, in my childhood, I've been involved in church since my mom was discharged from the hospital post-birth. Like, that was Mm. my life, (laughs) you know, (laughs) every single Sunday, always, always, always in church. Um, So when I was... I guess eight years old, my dad became an ordained minister. Um, he kind of always did ministry, you know, generally up to that point, but he became a pastor in 2008. So that's when I officially became a PK. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty young. So I was eight at that point. I was born in 2000. So, um, so yeah, he, his first gig was at this really tiny, old, old country church in Utica. Um, we lived in a parsonage. My mom homeschooled us <laughs> during the time that we were there. So I, I, can, I can't really say I'm a homeschooler, but I did experience the homeschooling thing for a brief stint of time. Um, so we did that. We were like, at the time, my parents, so there's three biological kids that my parents have, me and two younger biological siblings. And then my parents uh, were foster parents for a long time. So at the time, they had a foster placement, uh, three, two or three other kids, depending on what year it was. 
Um, but we were pretty much the only kids in that church, um, except maybe one or two others. So it was just a real typical country bumpkin situation. You know, <laughs> we had, uh, what do you call it? Oh, what do they call it? When all the church people eat together, the, uh, a fellowship time, potluck, fellowship, potluck. they had like Sunday evening potlucks. I want to say like every single week. Oh, hell no. Like all not. the old people. But I mean, it was it was fire. Like it kind of made the the situation worth it. Well, but anyway, you're the only kid, so the old people are like, "Let's hang out." <laughs> yes. Yeah. So we did that for about I want to say two years, and then um, I don't. I mean, like I said, I was a kid, so like I don't know a lot of the details of how this exactly unfolded. But um, after about two years there, uh, my dad started connecting with these other pastors um, at this other church and it was you know modern and it was growing and um, like big exciting stuff was happening over there so um, they wanted him to come join them um, over there and so when I was 10 we left that little country church and went to this new exciting church um and like literally from that moment on as a 10 year old I was all in like it was um it was our life for the 10 years that we were at that church until it disintegrated so mm. <laughs> that's the short version <laughs> yeah oh my gosh so what um what led to the disintegration oh <sighs> Yeah. So, um, I, I talked to my dad before, like I told him that I was going to be having this conversation and, um, you know, he gave me permission to share certain things and I, but I still told him like, I would try to protect his privacy as much as possible. Um, but basically my dad, he served in pastoral ministry there for over a decade. Um, I think maybe when we got there, I'm going to get this wrong. I don't know. Maybe there was like, a hundred people or somewhere in the lower hundreds by the time we left there was like almost a thousand people oh shit yeah yeah and um not to like brag or anything it's just the truth my dad put in a lot of the hard work mm. of making that church grow um I mean I I mean I lived at home I know like he had we had people in our home all the time like there was community group there was uh, new member meetings, like anybody that was new, the church was always going to come over to our house. Like he roped people in and made them feel welcome and safe. And, um, a lot of people told me like, your dad was the reason that I stayed at that church. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, which is really sweet and heartwarming. Um, so anyway, uh, we, like I said, we were all in, he was totally all in for 10 years. And then, um, in 2020, which was already a dumpster fire, um, they, his, his best friends, um, basically rallied together behind his back and decided that, um, like he wasn't cutting it anymore. Like, um, so another important thing to note about this whole situation that went down with my dad is that... In all honesty, 
a big part of the reason that he ended up being fired was because he, as the executive pastor, was not on board with this massive um, building project that the lead pastor wanted to do. So um, along with like the political things and the Black Lives Matter thing and like some theological disagreements, um, really the big thing was that the lead pastor um, wanted to go more in a mega church direction. And my dad is fundamentally against that. So um, they fired him. Yeah. Um, pretty much in the most disgraceful way possible. And I guess it just, it goes to show me that, um, you know, churches can, they can act like their main focus is serving people, loving people, reaching the lost, being the hands and feet of Jesus. But like at the end of the day, (laughs) I mean, this situation showed like we as people were not treated with dignity. Like the empire was more treasured in that decision than our humanity. Um, you know, as people made in the image of God, we were, we were discarded and thrown away like trash. Um, so that really grieves me, not just on a personal level for what we experienced, but since I've started deconstructing and making friends that have been through similar traumatic situations with their churches, I've realized that this is a common theme, that we can talk all day and act like we love people, but at the end of the day, um, that's not always the main objective. I was given permission to say this, uh, like they basically said, after 10 years of being best friends that we, that he lacked competency in chemistry. And then they fired him immediately with no warning whatsoever. Um, and like, didn't give him the opportunity to, you know, address the church or say goodbye or anything. It was just over like that. And so now like two and a half years later we're still like trying to wrap our minds around the whole thing and make it make sense yeah i mean i'm panicking because it was like he has nine kids yeah yeah well i there was at least there was i might get in trouble for saying this i don't know but they basically said as long as you don't um blow up the situation or make us look bad basically um we'll pay you nine months severance Mm. so um you know I wasn't living at home at the time when it happened I was like already married and had or I had we had one kid and I was pregnant with our second at the time um but the kids at home like everybody was taken care of financially anyway at that point in time I don't know if it was to kind of resolve or absolve themselves from guilt uh, to do that. I don't know, but at least that part was okay. Mm-mm-mm. So I'm wondering, yeah. you went from a small, relatively small church, I mean like under 100, 100, mm-hmm. to 
then going into a church that grew into thousands. Mm. What was that pressure like as a PK? Well, for me, like, yeah, I was a PK, but I really had an identity and an involvement and investment in that church that really didn't even have anything to do with me being a PK. Like, I was very much invested on a personal level. Um, I'm a musician. Um, my husband is also a musician and like he was on staff at the church for a period of time. He was, you know, really gifted at, um, with like tech and sound and all that kind of stuff. So like we were the people that were there pretty much every Sunday from 6am to noon, making it all work, you know? Yeah. And toward the end of our time there, uh, like they actually quote unquote deemed me. I don't know what you want to call it as like a worship leader, one of their worship leaders at the church. Um, like I had my own team on a rotation and all this stuff. There were like four of us or something. So like I was, I was very um, personally involved too in, in watching it grow and develop and the whole thing. So yeah, it was, it was pretty devastating when it, all just kind of blew up in our faces uh, yeah <laughs> yeah oh no so where is it does the church still exist oh yeah oh yeah they um it's it's kind of awkward it's, it's kind of weird for me because like I said I, I live in a pretty small town in Kentucky and um you know, the church is here. All of my huge extended family is here and most of them still go to that church. Mm. Yes. And so it's like, there's no escaping it. It's everywhere. There's, <laughs> you know, people we went to church with everywhere, family members that still go to that church everywhere. Um, so it's just like constant reminders of pain. Um, I can't even remember what your question was. I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Me neither. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I really don't remember what you asked me. But um, so that that makes it kind of weird because um, it, it makes it even complicated for me to speak out or say anything because I'm mm -hmm. like, well, if I'm going to share this on Facebook, everybody and their mother is going to hear it and probably be really offended. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 Oh, my gosh. So how small of a town are we talking? Um. Let's see. It's not like, I would say it's like a big little town. I'm going to Google real fast. Oldsboro population. I want to say yeah. it's like, it's Oldsboro population. Let's see. It's like 60,000 people. Oh so my. not like. That is so where, little. So where are you? I'm from LA. <laughs> oh my gosh, girl. Okay. Yeah. So to you, this is, this is. Yeah very am, much a small town i am what your people would call a coastal elite <laughs> <laughs> a liberal coastal elite <laughs> yes yeah i i love it though because i mean even not to like call you out or anything but my brother was born in the year 2000 and so you guys are 23 and you have two mm -hmm. children and my little la heart is like I'm 27. I'm oh. like, oh my God, I'm a baby. I can't have a baby. Oh, I, no, I know. Well, I, I think that's really a part of like that is related to the whole church story for mm. us too. 
Um, because like I said, um, I married my youth group sweetheart. We met when we were 10, I was 10 and he was 12 or 13. I don't know. We're two and a half years apart. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, we were always best friends and we did a lot of music together, like worship stuff together. And I mean, you know how it is in the evangelical mm-hmm. church. If you're going to be together, then you need to get married. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so we had been quote unquote, like together a unit for gosh, seven, eight years. I don't know. But anyway, we ended up getting married um, three weeks after I graduated high school. Girl! <laughs> I know. And I cringe even saying that because it's like, ew, that's so weird. But. Well, it's I don't weird know. in the age of the internet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. But I know a lot of people like that have deconstructed and had, you know, similar experiences like have also married really young and had terrible experiences and really regretted it. Um, I feel like I'm one of the lucky few, like I kind of, it worked out for me. (laughs) Well, I mean, you guys were together for a pretty long time. We were, we knew each other really well. We were really good friends. And um, I mean, we knew we wanted to be together. I, who, who knows if we would have actually gotten married that young, if we weren't in that context that we were Mm -hmm. in. But I do still think that we would be together, and I don't have any regrets. So no, and I mean honestly, oftentimes I have a I'm Mexican, so the trope is that we have a lot of pregnant teenagers, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of the reality in my family. But my family is cool because they've all kind of I don't have like the trashy cousin who I mean I I do, but for the most part, like my cousins are like great parents some of them still have their partners and they're like amazing so yeah and then i think these bitches are gonna be done in their 40s yes yes (laughs) i know and i really like i'll have full disclosure i actually am pregnant currently with with our third boy um you have all boys yeah, we're going to have all boys. It's actually really funny because I listened to your boy mom hot take this morning. <laughs> and no, no, listen, I was in full agreement, like full and total agreement with you. So like no hard feelings at all. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, gosh, oh, I know what I'm saying. Like, I love the idea of being, for the most part, done raising kids by the time I'm like 40 years old and just chilling, you know. I think it's also good for your kids. I mean, like, my parents had me young. I mean, not as young as you, but I, I mean, pretty young. My mom was 23 when she had my oldest sister and then 25 when she had me. Um, and they're, like, in their prime. They bought a trailer. Mm-hmm. They travel all the time. Um, but it, I think it's good because you have your kids and they grow up with you in the sense that, like, yes, I'm going to probably have my children when I'm incredibly financially stable and then they're gonna be spoiled brats thinking they can have whatever they want right when you have your kids when you're young you're like we have no money i mean you know you can tell them that anyways like we're young Mm -hmm. money, (laughs) and then they grow up to not be spoiled brats probably yeah yeah i don't i don't have regrets luckily so yeah i mean i love it i yeah i feel like i i mean i got married pretty young i was 24 okay that's pretty young yeah I remember trying on wedding dresses and thinking, oh my God, I'm a child. What am I doing? <laughs> I can't do this. 
Oh, it was definitely awkward for me because, like, oh, I hate saying it because it's so embarrassing. Yes, yes, but yes. I was like engaged like my whole senior year of high school. Mm. Like, I was wearing this ring right here. Um, as a 17 year old, my senior year, like, I turned 18 in April and got married in June. Like, so I was like very out of touch with like a lot of my peers at that time yeah you were planning a wedding yes yes i don't know i'm into it i think you're gonna have a great mid like midlife not crisis but like awakening (laughs) yeah fuck you kids i'm leaving you behind you adults right Right. (laughs) i love it looking forward to it so how is your um deconstruction been since this whole process oh girl so Oh, it's, let me back up a little bit. That's okay. I, um, I was definitely deconstructing. I don't know that I had that language for it. Um, but I was definitely deconstructing before the whole uh, catastrophe happened. Um, like I, I have always been not like totally progressive but more progressive Mm -hmm. than the general population of the evangelical church that i was in um like for example um it was not uncommon for me at all to like publicly address police brutality Mm. um like on social media at the time as a PK and somebody that was like a frequent worship leader at the church and in Kentucky and in Kentucky. Yes, ma'am. Um, and not even in like a more hit part of Kentucky, (laughs) 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 Owensboro. So, um, I, I would talk about these things. Um, what else? Like, I've always been of the belief, like, if you're anti-abortion, you better open up your pocketbooks mm-hmm. and your homes to kids. Because well, you had your parents as an example. Yes. Yes, I did. And so that was kind of just near to my heart already. And, um, you know, I went to public school, the great majority of my schooling career. And so, like, I was just exposed to social issues they were near to my heart because I saw them unlike Mm. a lot of other kids peers of mine that were always private schooled always in Christian school or homeschooled so um like I would talk about these things publicly and receive a ton of backlash to the point where it was suffocating Mm. and I just eventually gave up like I just stopped talking about these things for the most part because it was just so discouraging Mm. um and (laughs) here's a whole other thing so um so in 2020 or like that summer like right before the whole thing fell apart um of course George Floyd was murdered and there was also COVID happening and it was just a really, really tense time. And um, my husband, who posts very little on social media, um, shared a post like 
just addressing uh, white Christians, like how we should be responding to this, how we should be doing a lot more listening than talking and, you know, like actually figuring out what we can do that's going to be effective and just stop like arguing about it because it's not fruitful. Um, anyway, the, the staff, the pastoral staff called him out for it and actually created a whole new social media policy mm. where any person that's on staff basically can't put anything on, on social media that's going to be controversial because that is like disunifying the body of Christ. Um, mm. So that for both of us, I think was a point when we were like, I don't know if we can stay here because mm. um, I just, I can't, I am not, I can't with the idea that, you know, if you want to be unified, then you need to shut up about things that are literally killing people. Mm. I'm like, that's not unity. You want peace with the white Republicans in our church. If you really want peace on a wider scale, that's going to mean advocating for people outside your immediate sphere. Mm -hmm. um, so that for us was a point that was like, yeah, the deconstruction started speeding up a little bit and then um, just kind of kept intensifying. My parents at, around the same time, they had a Black Lives Matter sign in their yard. And remember, my dad is still a pastor mm -hmm. at this point. And um, a co-pastor calls my dad and asks him, lets him know that a lot of people are upset about it and that he wants him to take the sign out of his yard. And so like, it's just like intensifying and intensifying. And then eventually, um, I think, you know, my dad's co-pastors just realized like we're going two different directions and Jeremy can't be on board with it. So they just axed him basically. So since then, um, like we were kind of like this and then we were going a little bit faster and then, you know, my dad was suddenly fired and then it was just like, mm -hmm. <laughs> since then for all of us, it's been like, what the hell even is this whole thing that we've bought into all of our lives? Yeah. So, yeah. so where have you landed um, on some of the more like press, not pressing, but like some of the more common issues that we talk about in the deconstruction space? You know, um, honestly, I don't know about a lot of things. Yeah. Um, one of the first things that, that comes to mind is like, you know, where do I stand with uh, queer people? You know, do I affirm them? Do I, you know, say I love you, but I don't support how you live? You know, oh, that whole thing. Um, that's something that I have deconstructed more and more mm. since we left that church um and at this point in time i i can't say what i think about what the bible says about it or i don't know i'm gonna get in big trouble here but just, no you're not like, like i i at this point in time do not um i do not think that being lgbtq is a sin that's going to separate someone from god forever um 
one of my closer friends has come out since we left the church. And I think that was a turning point for me. Um, seeing my personal friend, like with such total, um, joy and just like seeming more like herself than ever before, Mm. you know, and it's easy to like theoretically say, yeah, being gay is a sin or whatever, but it's a lot harder when I'm looking at my friend in the face and I, I see her partner and like, I'm just realizing like, this is right for her. This makes mm. sense for her. Like she, yeah. So that's, that's kind of where I am with that right now. I'm still kind of wrestling with the Bible about it, but that's how I feel about it. <laughs> I um, mean, so many of us do, and it's like a, it's a long journey, you know, to deconstruct yeah. the Bible. And then yes, not only that, but all the things that we heard growing up like people telling us that this is it this is the ultimate word and even if they believe that they don't necessarily know or care about all the history and all the nuances and uh, yeah how it came together and how gay people were fine until 1946 in the bible and blah blah yeah. blah 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 yeah yeah i'm sure you hear this a lot on your show but <laughs> My beliefs as of today are complicated. Um, I'm sure that comes no surprise. Um, Yeah, I don't really have any great black and white answers as to, you know, what I believe about Jesus and his role in the world and the Bible and how it should apply to our lives. Um, I believe that Jesus is good. I believe that he has a unique role in human history that there has never been another person like Jesus and that he points us toward um, liberation and freedom and shows us the true way of life and how we should love and serve people but apart from that I really don't know I don't know if I believe that you know, people are in two categories, lost and saved based solely on whether or not they make a profession of the name of Jesus. Um, that's something that I've heavily deconstructed. Um, and that idea is really bothersome to me. Just honestly, my first thought is, uh, you know, the insurrection that happened at our capital, um, was it two years ago now? I don't know. Anyway, all of those people, you know, claim the name of Jesus Christ loudly and boldly, but yet they were doing these horrible, horrible things. And I know that no one is perfect, but like, is Jesus more concerned with us living and walking in his commands and following in his footsteps, or is he more concerned with titles? I don't know, but I'm choosing to believe at this point in time that Jesus is far more concerned with what we do than what we say, even if imperfectly. um, I believe that he's after our hearts more than he is after um, 
labels and categorizations of people. Um, yeah, I just think that the, the gospel, quote unquote, the gospel, whatever that really means. And the heart of Jesus is way, way bigger and better than that. And it's like a full-time job deconstructing. It, seriously? <laughs> no, really. It really and truly is. Like, it has taken up so much of my mental mm. and emotional capacity over the past two years. Um, I didn't mention this yet, but... Um, so my dad was fired in September of 2020, and we all um, left the church. And then the following... August um me and Tyler and our boys moved to Louisville two hours away um and we were there for a year and during the time that we were there we were attending um an evangelical church that was really similar like I think I was kind of trying to like revive something Mm. in myself that was dead Mm -hmm. um because I loved my church so much I loved leading worship um it was like my life I it was my identity and when it was gone like I didn't know how to function um so I thought we just need to get away like we need to escape Owensboro and um you know just just get out and so we left and started going to basically uh the same church with a different name and um like theoretically on paper it should have been perfect like the people were so kind to us they had an amazing band like musically it was so much fun um to like play music there but like on the inside I was absolutely miserable Mm. like I remember singing on their team um and I would be like leading a song and of course you know when you're leading worship in that kind of space you have to like put on somewhat of a performance you know Mm -hmm. like it's for the people to help them worship and all this and so I'd outwardly be like worshiping and looking like I'm having this moment with God and on the inside literally my head was going I am a fraud I am a fraud I am a fraud I don't believe this Mm. Like, it was just, it was really awful. Like, I would get in my car and just sob because I'm like, I, I could not make myself go back to what I was. And, you know, like, I told somebody recently, it's like squeezing out a tube of toothpaste. Like, I, it could not go back. I could mm. not see the church the same way. I could not relate to people in the same way. Um, I was just permanently altered by how traumatizing the situation was with being completely cut off from our people that we really thought were our family. Mm. Um, so where was I going with this? I don't know, but we, so we escaped is what I was saying. And then, um, eventually it was like, this is dumb. Like I miss my mom and <laughs> like, this is not really accomplishing anything. Like being two hours away, I thought that would like help the, the situation, but it really didn't. Um, I still had the same, like really heavy, um, feelings. I had, was really depressed when we were there. Um, 
like we lived in a little apartment and had two little kids and um like there would be days when it was just me and my thoughts all day long mm. and um you know most of it would be about deconstruction and um like what do I believe about God what does God think about me am I going to hell am I wrong are my standards for friendship too high? Should I go running back to these people? You know, all these things. And I literally thought I was going to lose my mind. Mm. Like mm-hmm. it was, it was a very, very low place um, in my mental health. That's when I started taking Prozac. Um, there, I mean, there likely could have been some like postpartum mm. hormones at play, but like, I know in my heart that like the soul of, the the root of my mental health issues at that time was just from the psychological turmoil uh from that event of of losing our church family so yeah i mean this is like you touched on something that i've been thinking about a lot which is this concept of friendship Mm -hmm. um and i think americans have it kind of twisted right like you go to church and these are supposed to be your people they're supposed to you're Mm -hmm. supposed to create this community and be friends but why is it only why is it conditional on the fact that you go to this church right like shouldn't your friends have understood like oh this was my dad's job and he got let go in a way that was traumatizing so i can't stay here and then why do they cut you out then if they were your real friends well from their perspective they might say that we cut them off you know, it's kind of complicated because, um, but in some sense, I'm sure you guys felt like you had no choice. Like that was just kind of how it had to be. Exactly. That's how it felt. It did not feel like it was like, this is, this is done. It's over. Like, there's no, like, I don't know, scooping up the pieces and, and trying to put something back together. Like it was clear. This is, this is the end. This is it. Um, like there wasn't even a second where we considered like, are we going to stay or should we go? It was like, no, this is done. Um, there was a total betrayal of trust. Um, so many people, it wasn't just like, you know, one person made this decision, like this isn't going to work with Jeremy anymore. And then, you know, axed him. It was like this whole system of people that were working together Mm -hmm. and talking about us, talking about him, um you know all the pastors i'm sure all their wives knew um there were deacons involved it was like it was a lot of people working together mm-hmm. on this and um like no one told him anything about it until they were sitting in the room with him and they said you're fired immediately mm. like so there was just a complete betrayal of trust these were my dad's remember these are not just people that he worked with. They were his very best friends. Mm. Um, and so like, I don't know. It, it, it was like, we didn't really want to talk to any of those people anymore because mm. they had just, it felt like in that moment, okay, you proved that you're not a good friend. Mm-hmm. Um, cause if you were a good friend, you would advocate for us or you would say like, there has to be a better way. This is dehumanizing Mm. and heartless. And no one did. No one stood in the gap. They just stood by and watched it happen. And then, you know, 
then once we left, it was like this game of tribalism where like people felt like they had to defend their leader. Mm. So, you know, they stood next to him and just watched us go. And I mean, they might text us and say, you know, I miss you or I love you or I'm praying for you, but like no one actually did anything. Mm -hmm. So like, I don't know. It felt to us like these people are not our real friends or they would have, they would have done something. Absolutely. Well, and a lot of it too is like, um, oh my gosh, did I just lose my train of thought? No, I didn't. Um, I remember it's culty, right? Like there's a sense of like, if you're not one of us, then you're not in our lives anymore. And that is pretty rampant across all evangelical churches. Like if you leave, you're donezo. If you start deconstructing, there's no room for you in my life because you're a bad influence or whatever. It's like, that's not, it's not how friendship works. That's not how the Jesus that you claim to believe in did friendship either. Right, right. Like people asked him questions. People challenged him. Yes. And blah, 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 blah. Like this is not supposed to be the way that the church functions. Our own spirituality and gathering in that spirituality is great. But once you start cutting people out, and I mean, we see that all the time, right? Like you're gay, you're out. You're a feminist, you're out. Blah, blah, yes. blah. And there like, leaves no room for differing beliefs. So it becomes this microcosm of like people who have, are just listening to this one guy. Absolutely. And then that's how you get white American evangelicalism that leans into Christian nationalism. Like that's 100%. just like the whole formula. <laughs> Yes, 100%. And that's exactly like that kind of mindset was intensifying and intensifying toward the end of the time that we were there. It was like becoming more and more culty that way. Like um, it felt like every single week, like the topic of unity was mentioned, like we're going to be unified. We're going to stand together. We're not going to argue with each other. And really what it boiled down to was you're not going to express differing opinions on social media, which is likely the only platform that you have to Mm. publicly express yourself. You know, me, Mr. Pastor, I can stand on stage and say whatever I want every single week. But, you know, you normal people who really can only express yourselves to a wide audience on social media, I'm going to control that. Mm. And I'm going to tell you, you can't do that because then you're disunifying the church. Mm. (laughs) But really it's, you're disunifying my vision for the church. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's exactly what happened. And I mean, like, it's just so much nicer in church spaces when you can disagree. Like, I work for a church. Um, it's a Methodist church that's more progressive than okay. whatever. And like the other day, there we had a whole um, we call it Imago Day drinking. It's like we go to the pastor's house, we drink, and we talk theology. Nice. And the topic was um, like, what makes a Christian? Like, what like what is the fundamental like principles of being a Christian? Mm-hmm. And it's all disagreement, right? Like somebody was like, "Oh, it's the Nicene Creed that Jesus is God," and some people are like, "Well." I don't know if it matters if Jesus was God or not. He's nice or whatever, right? Like some people don't believe in the virgin birth. Some people don't believe Mm -hmm. in the resurrection. And it makes for interesting conversations. And granted, our congregation as a result has ended up being full of smart people. And um, Mm -hmm. as an art major, I'm a little mad about it. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) We 
like surgeons and stuff and i was like okay yeah oh i have a job (laughs) but it's great and it's wholesome and it's cute and like uh this couple they're older and they've been at the church forever um they went to go see this new movie i forget what it's called but it's about like greg laurie's life or something like that and they were like raving about it and i was like oh i'm really not gonna watch that (laughs) like i really don't (laughs) like that guy (laughs) but it's fine like who cares right and it just makes for a better community of like yes you can just you don't have to fight about it you can just be like Ugh, whatever yes like, we I, there's this guy who was in like federal law enforcement or whatever and i was like ugh, bruce don't arrest me or don't like leave me alone bruce you're a cop and it's just funny and he just laughs yeah. and it's great yeah yeah and i feel like that's what any good church leader should want mm-hmm like that should be the desire, like not just for um, diversity in like the most monolithic sense possible. Like, yeah, we want to see different races represented here, you know, like with our race first, comes a lot of opinions. <laughs> right. Well, like, first of all, do you really? Yeah. Because if you if you did, then anyway, but it's it's performative, really, to say mm-hmm. like that you care about diversity but then like make zero room for people to think differently Mm -hmm. (laughs) like on anything other than like infant baptism i don't know (laughs) (laughs) infant baptism that's funny you know like the whatever the thing is Mm -hmm. that's like the least controversial like okay we can agree to disagree about that or about um you know old world new world creation or whatever like those are the two things you're allowed to disagree on i know because it's funny but it's like yeah why are we policing people's beliefs if like we're we're called to greater diversity we're called to like fight against these systems mm-hmm. and how can you pretend like you're bringing heaven to earth if you're not even willing to wrestle with what's happening on earth right right Absolutely. And something that I've like experienced a lot since I've started deconstructing is like, I've just, I've just started spending a lot more time listening to people that have vastly different life experiences than me. Like, like I said, before I I had like left that church and, um, like even when I was still in it, like diversity was important to me. I wanted to, you know, hear the voices of um, all different kinds of people. But like, since I have really deconstructed, like I've started, you know, actively following people on social media who are gay or non-binary or um, indigenous or whatever, just all these life experiences that are totally different from mine. And um particularly with uh, queer folks, like the more that I've listened, like the more I've realized you're not scary. You're not Mm -hmm. bad. You're not evil, you know, Mm -hmm. like, and I feel like that's kind of something that the church uses, like, okay, if I can keep you at arm's length, then it's going to be easier to uh, demonize you and to view you as the enemy. somebody said my mom said this it was somebody else's quote but it was like empathy is more rebellious than a middle finger amen like that's where it starts 
with just listening to people. And um, I don't know, that's been a big part of my deconstruction is just a wholehearted commitment to like actually hearing people and wanting to understand their experiences. Because like I said, it's just, it's nearly impossible to see people as scary or, you know, a threat to the, uh, I don't know, the, what am I trying to say? The church, whatever, like it's, it's a lot harder to see people as threatening when you really just hear them and get to know their stories. Yeah. And I mean, this is like part of it is that church people just know and accept and love that it's easier to just follow what the guy at the front says right just like oh i just have to follow the rules and that's it i don't have to think about empathy i don't have to think about compassion but it's curious how those of us who are always the most involved those of us who take the faith the most seriously yes tend to see through the bullshit and then leave right and i have been like not the word what's the word convicted Uh, so many times of just like leaving like ignoring the faith or like leaving Jesus behind or um just being influenced by the liberal media or whatever Mm. and I'm like are you kidding me like no obviously like I really really care about my faith or I wouldn't have like thought about it this much or like Mm -hmm. tried to hold on to Jesus and make all these things make sense. Um, Oh, sorry. Someone was calling me. Uh, Like if I didn't care or if I was just like chasing the devil or whatever, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't be working so hard to put this all together in my brain, you know? Um, So like, I, I feel like, I know that Jesus is good and that he is, uh, that his life and ministry like shows us the way to liberation. And um, like, I just want to get closer and closer to that the longer that I live. And I hold my opinions a lot more open-handedly today than Mm -hmm. I ever have. Um, I try not to speak too concretely about much of anything because I mean, my beliefs, I mean, they could change. They could be different a year from now or two years from now. Um, but as long as I see myself moving toward the direction of compassion and loving people well, then that doesn't worry me. I think I'll be all right. <laughs> exactly. And that's like, it's not that scary on this side. I mean, it's scary to deconstruct your beliefs because I mean, you've been brainwashed into thinking that you're going to burn in hell for the rest of your life. But then once you get kind of past that, it's, wonderful to have empathy it feels great Mm -hmm. you feel like you can actually make a difference in the world or you like you can raise your kids in a better world and right it's just unfortunate but like i tell my dad not everybody's smart so i could just let him be dumb (laughs) i know and it's really hard when it's people that you really Mm. care about um and especially when it's your family um yep like, like I said, I'm really fortunate to um, have a really good relationship with my parents. And like I said, they've deconstructed a lot. So they're safe to talk to about a lot of these things. Um, but a lot of our extended family is not in the same boat. And um, like I have family members who view 
any kind of changing your beliefs as just like forfeiting the gospel or like Mm. if you've if you've changed that means you've compromised you know Mm. um and like there's not really willingness to understand Mm. and so it's really hard to know like what am I supposed to do with this relationship how how can I honor this person and you know recognize that they landed where they are because of their life experiences and you know like just honor them and humanize them but like not allow them to control me Mm -hmm. you know it's it's really really tricky stuff yeah I mean like in my family um we have a lot of most a lot of my family's in Mexico still so it's a little bit of a culture difference um spiritually Mm. but like I have a cousin who's gay he's the first gay cousin that we've ever had and he came out really early on and he's still kind of ostracized like they Mm. he'll come over for Christmas Eve or something but he has to leave pretty immediately because the comments start coming and like even my own parents have said like they won't go to his or they didn't go to his wedding because he got married Mm. because he's gay and I went to the wedding because I'm not a homophobe and it was beautiful. It was lovely. It was, it was even magical. It was the best wedding I've ever been to actually. And my grandmother who knows that I was in the country to go specifically to this wedding calls me during the wedding. And it's like, mm. Oh, what are you doing? And I was like, grandma, you never call me except for my birthday. And I was like, I'm at the wedding. And she's like, Oh, what wedding? And I was like, shut up, dude. Like, what do you what wedding like oh my gosh like to them it was de- it would have been deemed rude to even be invited to this wedding like there was oh no my gosh and my cousin kind of made peace and he's like whatever like they can do whatever they want like i'm not gonna change them but meanwhile he has this little cousin who's like fuck you fuck that like the total american liberal elite right it's <laughs> like fuck your beliefs <laughs> oh my gosh but that's just like the norm even in america right like how many kids yeah. get like shoved out of their situations because they were born gay or yeah. they were born different i know i know and like in the context i was in like it's kind of hard to explain it i definitely wouldn't call it like fundamentalist like like it was like there was this facade of freedom Mm. and acceptance but it wasn't really real you know like they would like my pastor at the time like it wouldn't have been totally crazy for him to say something from the pulpit like you know hating gay people is wrong Mm -hmm. you know or hating people because of the color of their skin is wrong but like still at the end of the day are we going to advocate for those people are we going to like actually fight for their rights probably not um so I think a lot of these people like they think well I'm not racist or I'm not a homophobe I love everyone but like do you really do you yeah (laughs) you know um that's something that I've thought a lot more about since leaving the church because like sometimes I feel really sorry for myself because I'm like man so many of my relationships are like ruined forever because of this or just like really heavily altered because of this and then I think my god what would it be like if I was gay like Mm -hmm. if like how could I possibly do this at all like I don't know it's it's 
crazy. Yeah, and I mean, remember, listeners, uh, the KKK is a Christian organization, so yeah, <laughs> Christianity does not mean that you're kind. Right, right. I know, and people, I think they just assume like. Even if there was a sermon or something addressing racism, like no one actually feels responsible, mm-hmm. you know? So like everyone is absolved from any kind of responsibility of actually doing anything as long as they're nice to people. I'm like, that's another thing is niceness, <laughs> I hate niceness. you know, <laughs> you know, like does it really amount to anything? Like all those people that were our so-called like best friends for you know over a decade like even since we left they have been nice to us mm-hmm. like they will send text messages and say i love you and i'm praying for you and i miss you and whatever and that's nice but is it kind is it mm-hmm. is it like actually fruitful is it like forming a meaningful and genuine relationship or is it just like covering your own ass Mm-hmm. just like trying to absolve yourself of guilt and cover up the situation like yep jesus was with people in their pain and suffering and i mean of course jesus didn't hurt people so he didn't have to apologize but you know like people who are sinners like it's necessary to accept that like like if jesus really died and was resurrected and like if he truly paid the price for all the sins of the world you know that's their belief you know that jesus Mm -hmm. covers it all like shouldn't christians be more willing to admit their wrongdoings than anyone else Mm -hmm. you know like if that's really what they believe and it's really true like they should be able to stand on stage and say, I really messed this up. I really hurt this family. And um, like what I did was wrong. But it kind of makes me like, that's another thing that makes me feel like, is this really legitimate? Because you're clearly not willing to actually deal with it. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like it kind of like taints the legitimacy of the gospel mm-hmm. when christians and pastors aren't willing to deal with their shit in a way that like actually shows i'm redeemed by jesus and it's okay that i've done wrong because he makes it right you know mm-hmm. i don't know if that made any sense it makes total sense i mean it's just the, <laughs> the biggest enemy to the gospel is a christian who's an asshole that's for yeah. sure yeah well yeah. do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up this amazing episode Yeah, well, I think I'm going to just on what you just now said about, you know, Christians like tainting the the gospel, like something that I've heard a lot is, you know, people can't be the what stands between you and God, like you and God have to have your own thing, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, you can't allow the failures of people to, you know, keep you from God but then on the opposite side of the same coin is you have to act right and um portray the gospel to a lost and dying world so that people will come to Jesus Mm -hmm. so which is it you know like it it almost it felt like for me in my experience 
that the the standard for loving people who are quote unquote like in that are in Christ that are in the church it's like the standard of loving them is less mm-hmm. because they have already received Jesus so now I can act however I want towards you and I feel like for me it's just been kind of a way to I don't know reclaim my power and Mm. my worth as a person like I don't have to allow this kind of treatment I don't have to allow this kind of quote-unquote friendship to continue Um, because, you know, if I'm really created in the image of God, then I have dignity. Mm -hmm. Um, my family has dignity and we deserve to be treated in a way that is dignifying. Um, so yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Christians, please treat people with dignity. The end. (laughs) Amen. I love it. (laughs) Well, do you have anything to plug before we head on out? Girl, I wish I did. I'm I'm <laughs> nobody and nothing. Um, I am currently trained to be a therapist, which Yay! is I've realized the value of this um, and the need for it, especially in the particular niche of you know religious recovery. Since what I've been through, um, so hopefully one day I will have some resources there to plug. But for now, I'm just I'm just nobody, girl. <laughs> I love it. We're all nobodies. That makes us great because who cares? <laughs> yes. I love it. Well, friends, as always, you can find us at Speaking in Church where we have merch, a tip jar, etc., etc. You can find me at Josie Takes the World. And thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. Hope you come back for more. Um, as always, stay woke or get woke. Bye. This has been an Irreverent Media Podcast.